The following audio is via a Skype call. Thank you, Eric Kramer, TGIF Indeed. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell on the air for an hour in your ears. And as Oscar time draws near, it's always a great time. And we have Scott Mance joining us. We'll have that gentleman on the air very shortly with us. But first, let's say hello to bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. Benny, have you seen all the nominees for Best Picture yet? Tell uh, me that you have. Uh, no, because I've been busy digging myself out from all the snow we've had this last week from Snowmageddon. Ah, Snowmageddon, which will be a picture next year nominated, I'm sure. Right? Snowmageddon, <laughs> CGI being what it is. Starring yep. Manson yes. Mitchell, right? <laughs> we did not see all of them yet. We intend to do so. But last night... Suzanne and I went out for a lovely Valentine's Day, uh, a Valentine's Day dinner, and we did it at a place. It's a chain. They're not in 50 states, but there are several of them. It's called Cinebistro, Ooh. and we have one right here in Sarasota, Florida, where we reside. And we went there, had a lovely meal, and we watched Green Book. Oh, my God. I hope <laughs> it wins. I'll just put it out there. I hope it wins. Extraordinary story. And so there's that. And the day before, we saw Black Klansmen. And the day before, we saw The Favorite. Now, Scott Mance knows that, you know, it, I don't know if he gets a charge out of it. I get a little thrill every time I go and watch the movie trailers. And then there's a comment in quotes, and it says Scott Mance in regard to the film. There, When it comes to The Favorite, and we'll get into this shortly, if, if it were Gary Mance in quotes, I think it would be, what? <laughs> Let's bring the man on with us, And Gary. we'll get into all of that and so much more because it's Oscar time and Scott Mance joins us. His mad props, please. Scott Mance is an American film critic, writer, and producer. In addition, Mance is the co-founder and president of the Los Angeles Online Film Critics Society. Starting in October 2000 and for 17 years, Scott was resident film critic and film segment producer for Access Hollywood winner of the ICG Publicists Guild Press Award, honoring outstanding entertainment journalism. Scott Mance is co-founder and president of the Los Angeles Online Film Critics Society. This is his sixth visit to Manson Mitchell Excellent. since his first interview in 2012, and we are so thrilled to have him back. Welcome, Scott Mance. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. It is. I think we might have missed last year. So to be back on the show talking with you about the Oscars, it's great to be back. This has been quite the year, quite the award season, I have to say, uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, you have a film like Roma, which is the first time that Netflix, a streaming service, has had one of its films nominated for Best Picture. And now it is uh, looking very likely that they could have their first Oscar-winning Best Picture on their hand. And I heard, Gary, you were talking about the movie Green Book. Green Book is a movie that I absolutely love. Truth be told, of all the nominated films, in fact, of any movie nominated or talked about at all throughout 2018, Green Book was my number one favorite movie of the year. Uh, it is a film that is a feel-good crowd-pleaser. It is a movie I could watch over and over again, and truth be told, I have. And uh, I love it so much. I think uh, Mahershala Ali and Viggo Mortensen are great in this movie. 
There's a whole lot to talk about with award season this year. You also have, among the eight nominated Best Pictures, the very first ever superhero movie to be nominated for Best Picture. That, of course, is Black Panther, which, I have to say, opened a year ago. It opened President's Weekend in 2018. It has made $1.3 billion worldwide. And it is nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Lots uh, to talk about. Uh, 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 an incredible year. Uh, a lot of mudslinging against some of the Best Picture nominees, especially Green Book, a movie that took a lot of knocks. There are a couple of movies that got completely snubbed in the major categories, like uh, like First Man, which is a movie that I loved, and in the documentary category. The Mr. Rogers movie, Won't You Be My Neighbor, which was, by many accounts, the movie to beat for Best Documentary, wasn't even nominated. So that's just the tip of the iceberg, Manson Mitchell. You know, we talked before about the difference between the movies that get nominated for Academy Awards and the ones that make big money. And so here is the case, I guess, for the first time where one of those big money films, Black Panther, is also nominated. And I think a couple of years ago, we talked about how there seems to be this divide between films that are very popular and films that get nominated for some reason. That's a great point. And yes, I remember that conversation uh, very, very well. And traditionally, yeah, the movies that make a ton of money and that the, the popular films, so to speak, often get overlooked while sort of these niche movies that make about 25 or $30 million at the box office top are the ones that get nominated and may even win Best Picture. You know, when Moonlight won Best Picture uh, over La La Land two years ago, it was the second lowest grossing movie to win that award. I think it made like $20 million at the box office. And uh, But this year, among the nominees, not only do you have Black Panther, which again made up $1.3 billion worldwide, you also have A Star is Born, which made about $200 million domestically, a uh, very, very big hit. And then you have Bohemian Rhapsody, which has made $840 million worldwide. This movie has been nominated for five Academy Awards, including Best Picture and also Best Actor for Robin Malik. And talk about a film that has had to deal with a whole lot of controversy. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody has sort of defied a lot of that controversy. A movie that really a lot of people just thought, oh, you know, the movie's all about Robin Malik's performance. But yet it was nominated for uh, Best Picture by the Producers Guild. It won. Best Picture Drama at the Golden Globes, which was a big surprise. A lot of people thought that the, A Star is Born was going to win that award and went to Bohemian Rhapsody. And now you do have Bohemian Rhapsody nominated for Best Picture. And I think, the, I think the movie's great. But you have three films out of the eight that are certified like hit films. And actually, as we speak, Green Book uh, just passed $100 million worldwide at the box office. So a lot of popular films in the best picture category this year. Scott, I have one quick question, and then I've got to let Gary get in here. If, <laughs> when you say how much you love a film, 
does that really influence what it is when you are handicapping them to decide which one is going to win? Do you ever pick movies that you think are going to win for best picture, but you really preferred something else? You liked something else? Oh, all the time. Absolutely. I mean, this year is a perfect example. My favorite movie among the nominated films, and again, my favorite movie of the year, was Green Book. But I don't think it's going to win Best Picture. I think Best Picture is going to go to Roma. Roma is a, a movie that is very well loved. Uh, it's an ambitious, bold film. The fact that it has no score, uh, no, you know, it's a, it's a foreign language film, really. And uh, with actors that, uh, Mexican actors that people don't really know, uh, a lot of the scenes are done in long, complete takes. It's black and white. Uh, it is not, and it's, and it's on Netflix. I mean, it got a little bit uh, of a release, a short release in theaters because it had to to get eligible for, uh, you know, nominating uh, at the Oscars. But and so it's available to everyone who has Netflix. But I, I admire the film. I like the movie a lot. But it's not a film that I'm going to watch over and over again. Whereas Green Book is a movie that I not only will watch over and over again, but I've seen it five times. And <laughs> I feel like it's, a, it's an instant classic. Uh, it has heart. It has humor. It has great performances, the, the chemistry between uh, these two guys, uh, these two actors. And, you know, since you've seen the movie, you know, at the end of the film, it's a, you realize it's a Christmas movie. So... You know, this is a film that they could play every year, you know, at least uh, when it's on uh, the cable channels for holidays. And it totally fits as a Christmas movie. I mean, if, if a movie like Die Hard can qualify as a Christmas movie, then Green Book certainly qualifies as a Christmas movie. But to answer your question, yeah, there, there are often times where the movie that I love and the movie that I think is going to win are two different films. Like last year is another example. The movie that I loved for Best Picture the most was Get Out. But the movie that won was The Shape of Water. And I knew going in that it was going to be The Shape of Water. What's up, cuz? Nice to talk to you, he presumptuously said. I always love it when you join us, Scott Vance. It, it's just always, always a lot of fun, especially this time of year. I mean, the energy is just rising. I wanted to uh, ask you, Scott, about a whole lot of things. Let's see if I can get to them in no particular order. It's funny about Shape of Water. I've only seen scenes from it. I did not watch it. Suzanne asked me if I wanted to watch it, and I sarcastically replied, I already saw a creature from the Black Lagoon. What is this, the erotic version? <laughs> because, because of the way the, the creature looks and so forth. They, I think they sampled from a 1954 picture. But, um, okay, so it won. There's a trend, and I'll go ahead and bring that up before I get to some other stuff. It seems to me, and good for them, this is quite remarkable, but if you have a surname from one of the Romance languages, you have pretty good chances anymore, good odds of winning big, Come Oscar time, it just seems like there's a whole influx of that talent and that that artistry that is being recognized for the mastery involved and the nuance and the subtlety that they bring to the screen. Well, uh, that's a very interesting point. Um, give me give me an example. Well, uh, Shape of Water, for example. 
impactful. You know, the, if you have in, in lesser categories, maybe it's it could be best documentary or short feature. What I'm seeing is that that Hispanic people are rising in the industry in a way that I would not have recognized or expected if we were talking 10 or 20 years ago. Well, actually, OK, that that now I get your point. OK, this year, Alfonso Coran, who directed Roma, is is the one to beat for best director at the Academy Awards. So let's say that happens. Let's say that Alfonso Cuaron wins. It'll be his second award as best, best director. His first was for Gravity, which came out in 2013. And, and when he wins next week, I'm saying when with, with, with tremendous confidence, because I, I do believe that will happen, it will be the fifth time in the last six years that the Oscar for directing went to a Mexican filmmaker. That's what because I'm talking about. Yeah, in 2013, it was Alfonso Cuaron for Gravity. In 2014, it was Alejandro Gonzalez Inaritu for Birdman. Inaritu won it again, back-to-back directing Oscars the following year for The Revenant. And then you have David Chazelle, who won for La La Land, not a Mexican filmmaker, so that's the break. But then last year, Guillermo del Toro won the Oscar for The Shape of Water for directing and Best Picture. And now this year, again, you're going to have Alfonso Cuaron again. So that's five times out of the last six years. Not only did these Oscars go to foreign uh, directors, they went to Mexican directors. I yes. think that's an extraordinary and notable achievement. Yes, it is. So you don't think Spike Lee is going to get any kind of sentimental favor? I thought it was well, Spike Lee's year. Well, it is Spike Lee's year because, first of all, he was nominated for three Academy Awards this year for directing Black Klansman, for producing Black Klansman, and for co-writing the screenplay for Black Klansman. And I think the Oscar that Spike Lee will get will be for Best Adapted Screenplay. Oh, he won't okay. win Best Picture, and he, he won't win Director. But if there is an upset in the directing category, it could very well go to Spike Lee because this is the first time he's been nominated for Best Director. When he was nominated for Do the Right Thing in 1989, it was for original screenplay. The Academy has often overlooked Spike Lee, despite the fact that he is one of the great filmmakers of our time, of all time. He is extremely prolific, directing, I think it's like 20 feature films and 11 documentary features in his throughout his career since his uh, first movie with the She's Gotta Have It in 1986. Yes. Uh, you know, he... And he makes uh, his movies are uh, extraordinary. He can direct broad films like Inside Man that are commercial crowd pleasers, and then he can he can direct movies that are that are more in line with his uh, his ability to provoke, like Do the Right Thing and uh, Malcolm X, and definitely with Black Klansman. And I think Black Klansman is one of his very best movies. Uh, everything that Spike Lee has ever done very well 
has all come to bear in Black Klansman. And if he is a sentimental favorite because he's never been nominated, and sort of the, the, the let's say the Academy looks at Spike Lee as a sentimental favorite, you could be looking at an upset here. Um, but just because, I mean, Coran has been getting uh, pretty much every directing award that he was nominated for, I do think that he's uh, the one to beat. Uh, Alfonso Cuaron will be the one to beat for the Oscars. I think it's his. I am going to be paying close attention to that. It would continue a trend. And I would add as a side note, if uh, any of our listeners have not seen the movie from, I believe it was the early 90s, Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee, do the right thing and go see it. I mean, it, however you can get it, just get it because it is a socially powerful statement and it is hilarious in so many places. I just love that movie. Uh, do the Right Thing, Do the Right Thing came out in 1989. It was uh, Spike Lee's third movie. And it is a film. I rewatched it again about six months ago. And it is a movie that not only does it hold up, but you realize watching the film how far ahead of its time it was for, for events that happened not only shortly after its release, but also through the years. Uh, the uh, police brutality that we see in Do the Right Thing. And then two years after that film opened, you had Rodney King. And then mm -hmm. years later, you had Trayvon Martin. Uh, it is, a, 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 you know, the, uh, the events of that film, the way it all builds to an explosive climax, uh, one that is extremely provocative and controversial, is, is still stuff that happens today, which shows you just how far ahead of its time that Do the Right Thing was. I agree. It is a uh, it's a masterpiece movie. Um, I was uh, on another film series uh, about six months ago, and we were talking about the best movies of 1989. And we each had to argue uh, which which movie we thought was the best of 1989. And my pick for the best movie of 1989, which was an argument that I won during this debate, was in fact do the right thing. Yes. It is. It's just extraordinary. You've boys. I don't know. I mean, and some of the funniest <laughs> stuff is in that movie that I can't say on the radio. But I mean, if you just watch it, you get it. And what you realize is that so much wisdom, so much social observation is not done in ivory towers, though we know that happens. It's at the level of the street. And that message comes through so powerfully in that film accordingly. Absolutely, it does. And, and again, uh, you know, when I think of Spike Lee, you know, I, I, I think of the Spike Lee who pushes buttons, who stirs conversation. And that's what films like Do the Right Thing, and, and absolutely, that's what Black Klansman does. It does. Thank you for that, Scott, because I was going to say in praise of it, I was deeply moved. I was in tears at the end of the movie there because of how they bring it to into current day events. And there is a strong clarion call a warning take a good look at this look at where we are look at what happened right. then and look at where we yep. have gotten ourselves and so uh, i was very moved by that i also happened to have lived for a short time a matter of months about five months in colorado springs and this was in the mid 1980s 
You would not see that if you look at the veneer of politeness and, and a very polished kind of militarism, because the Air Force Academy is there and you get to know a lot of those people if you're around much, and I met my share. Uh, Fort Carson is there, so you have the Army. And there's also a very, very strong, I would call it a citadel of evangelical Christianity, firmly attached to the right wing, that is also there. It's all this cauldron. And when you just scratch under the surface and go back to the 70s, you find out that there was some very ugly stuff going on just under the surface. Absolutely. I mean, you know, this is a film, and I, I, I talk about the performances of this movie, John David Washington, who is the son of Denzel Washington, who Denzel Washington had made a bunch of movies with Spike Lee, including obviously Malcolm X, uh, but also, uh, you know, Inside Man and, uh, you know, Adam Driver, given a, a terrific uh, supporting performance, uh, you know, Oscar nominee, uh, you know, best thing he's done, you know, he's not just Kylo Ren from the Star Wars movie. Um, and then there's, uh, I have to say, uh, uh, he played David Duke in the film Topher Grace, from that mm. 70s show, giving a game-changing performance for his career in that movie. It's really going to open a lot of doors for him to do other things. But the movie just worked on so many levels. and uh, It's not a comedy, but in a way that it makes fun of the KKK, uh, it is very amusing. Who do you like as the actor in a supporting role? Since Gary and I saw... Uh, Black Klansman and Green Book were kind of partial to both of those two, but who do you think is going to get the Oscar? For a supporting actor, that's a that's a no-brainer here. I think that Mahershala Ali is going to win his second Oscar in three years. Uh, you know, wow. won, uh, you know, 2016, he won the supporting actor Oscar for Moonlight, and I feel like you know his performance in Green Book, it's more of a lead performance but yet yes. he was still submitted for a supporting role, uh, yeah. which was weird because, I mean, he, he's in the film almost as much as, uh, as Viggo Mortensen, who's an Oscar nominee for lead actor. Maybe they just didn't want them to compete. But Herschel Ali showed so much range, more range in Green Book than he even did in Moonlight. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the depth of his performance, the heart of it, the humor, um, I feel like that, that if you're going to bet the house on any of these uh, nominations for the, the acting categories, I think that uh, Mahershala Ali is the safest bet of the bunch. Uh, I did love, however, I have to say, my, my very close second favorite, very, very close to Mahershala's performance here, was Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me? And, you know, here is an actor who has been making movies since the mid-80s, and he's been a character actor in so many great films. You know, he was in Gosford Park, and he was in The Player, and he made three movies with Robert Altman. But his performance as the uh, hustler, the Jack Hawk, in Can You Ever Forgive Me, supporting Melissa McCarthy, who was nominated for lead actress in that film, uh, that I mean, you know, he's in his early 60s, and he is getting the most attention, overdue attention for his career, for his performance. Can you ever forgive me? I just absolutely love that film, and I love Richard E. Grant's performance in that movie. It's truly 
a supporting performance. Uh, you know, not like Mahershala Ali, where it's really elite, uh, but it is really, truly a supporting performance, and it's a, ultimately a heartbreaking turn, but uh, he just is magnificent in the film, amazing chemistry with Melissa McCarthy. Uh, so, so, you know, if I had to pick which one, I, okay, you, you know, Suzanne, you asked about favorite versus who's going to win. Right. I actually do think that uh, Richard E. Grant is my favorite here, but I did, I do, I did love Mahershala, and I think he will win. Okay, okay, that's one of those splits between what you like and what you think will win. I wanted to say, first of all, everybody I know loves Sam Elliott. It's wonderful that he was nominated for A Star is Born. He's Sam Elliott, after all. By contrast, and this is just my perception, Scott, there, but Sam Rockwell, a wonderful actor, he is one of those guys, if he were a baseball pitcher, I think they would call him sneaky fast. He doesn't look like he can throw 100 miles an hour, but then he slips one by you. Sam Rockwell strikes me as the kind of actor whose whose career and his trajectory was like sneaking up on greatness. I knew he was good. I mean, but when oh. I started to see him in certain roles, I'm going, wait a minute, this guy really has something on the ball. Yeah, Sam Rockwell, you, he's always great. He's always great in everything he does. I mean, I remember the first... Uh, a feature film I really uh, noticed the standout performance of him was actually 20 years ago in a film called uh, Galaxy Quest. Yes. Oh, that's not right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, yeah, he was great in that film, but of course, you know, over the years he's had uh, just uh, amazing performances, very prolific actor. Uh, there was a film a couple years ago called uh, The Way, Way Back, that took place at a, uh, uh, a summer swim club, and uh, uh, he played sort of the Bill Murray character. It was a, it was a homage to meatballs, um, but he was great in that. And of course, he won supporting actor last year for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Yes, yes we love that. Unbelievable. Fantastic movie. Fantastic yeah. movie. Amazing performance. I do have to say that. I was surprised that he got nominated here for Vice as uh, George W. Bush, only because, you know, he didn't really have a lot of screen time. And, uh, you know, <coughs> pardon me, it was more of a, I don't know, it, it didn't rank up there with the best of, of his work. It just felt more like an imitation than a fully realized character. But Vice did get eight nominations, and uh, it's a movie that obviously the Academy liked very, very much. So uh, you know, he just sort of like snuck in through there, but uh, but no, I, I think he's an amazing actor. I'll, I'll watch him in any. You know, the other one that got a lot of nominations was the favorite, and we saw that on Tuesday. And uh, they've it, those are two actresses up for a supporting role. Did you like the favorite as much as Gary did, which was not uh, very I, much? Oh my. I like the favorite a lot. Uh, it's not my favorite of the bunch. Um, you know, I just generally, I don't know. You know, they say, you know, the, the, uh, there's an expression that says, embrace your taste. And, you know, sort of costume dramas aren't really my cup of tea. Like, I didn't really like Mary Queen of Scots either. Uh, but I did like the sort of uh, snarky, woody bite of this movie 
And the performances are all terrific, and they're all nominated. Olivia Coleman for lead, and uh, Rachel Veidt, and uh, Emma Stone for supporting. You know, all wonderful. Emma, Stone is, is, Emma Stone's just one of my top five favorite actresses of all time. I absolutely, I think that she just is always sensational in everything she does, whether it's Birdman or uh, Battle of the Sexes. She was great as Billie Jean King. And, of course, there's her Oscar-winning performance in La La Land, which I, I absolutely love that movie, and I really championed, did everything I could to champion her to win that award because I just felt like uh, she just showed such dynamic range in that film, and she just, you know, she just crushed it. She knocked it out of the park. Um, the favorite was a film is a film that it got a lot of nominations. It got ten nominations here, um, tying with Roma for ten nominations. But on the U.S. side, the, uh, the, the the domestic side, it's getting nominated for a lot, but it's not winning a whole lot. Um, the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Comedy went to Olivia Colman, and over at the Baptist which are the British Oscars, which happened last week, last Sunday, the favorite one seven BAFTA awards. But mm. it's not going to fare that well at the Oscars. Um, it's not going to win supporting actress for either actress. It's not going to win lead actress. Maybe maybe it'll get uh, original screenplay, but I still think uh, that might go to Green, uh, Green Book um, or, or, you know, uh, maybe Roma. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but the favorite, the film, I mean, I seen, I saw it twice. I liked it. It's not what, it wasn't even in my top 10 of the year, to be honest, but I did like it, but there are people who love it. <laughs> um, I would like to meet some of those people and ask them why I'll, I'll tell you the favorite. I was, <laughs> when I watched it, I came away from that movie. First of all, as we left the theater, I said to Suzanne, you owe me so many black Klansmen viewings. There aren't enough Klansmen to make up the difference <laughs> after sitting through that. Was it filmed beautifully? Exquisite. Set design, extraordinary. Acted magnificently. All the ladies were brilliant. The guys who were not the dominant players in this movie, they did not drive the movie, but they were outstanding. Directed gorgeously. So what's my problem with it? My problem is that it's very hard for me, Scott, to think of a movie that was so unable to live up to the expectations put forth by the trailer. I went to see the movie of the trailer, and that's not what I got. The trailer showed this dance, it's a period piece, and there was this dance going on where a guy was doing the whatever it was, you know, 17th, 18th century version of a moonwalk or something. It was extraordinary. He extended his body and his legs so high in doing this elaborate dance. I said, that guy's moonwalking for his day. And that part was fun. And there was other stuff that was just plain debauched. And I'm watching this and I'm listening to the language and I'm looking at the seriousness involved. I mean, this was a, a country at war and yet there was a war within the palace and it was being waged by the women. And uh, starting with the queen, but I mean, with, with a couple of rivals and it's extraordinary, the intensity of it. And I thought, looking at the trailers, I just wouldn't have expected that. I really was going, yikes. Well, well the, what I liked about the film, like if you want to just sort of break it down, sort of the power struggle that erupts 
between Rachel Weiss and Emma Stone, makes it sort of a, a period piece version of All About Eve. And, uh, you know, that's where I thought that the film really succeeded. And I, I thought the performances were great. I thought Olivia Colman was great. And again, I mean, I just, you know, Rachel and especially Emma Stone were, were fantastic. But, you know, it's, it's it's not a movie I'm just going to pop in my Blu-ray player and watch over again. <laughs> no, I think once was enough. I was going to tease by opening up talking about The Favorite, referring to it as a rib-tickling rom-com, but that would not do it justice. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> so that was but really extraordinary. If it's not going to be Rachel or Emma, who do you think is going to pick up the Oscar for a supporting role? For for uh, actress in a supporting role, oh yes, well, that's uh, I definitely. I mean, I think you know, even though Amy Adams, you know, this is her sixth nomination for Vice, but I think that the yeah, the tide is going towards Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk. Uh, Good for directed her. Directed by Barry Jenkins. I mean, I think that uh, yeah, I mean, she's been winning a whole lot. You know, she won the Critics Choice Award and she's uh, 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 won the Golden Globe, and and I just feel like this is her year. Uh, you know, Barry Jenkins uh, following up his uh, Oscar-winning Best Picture Moonlight with uh, with, a, with a really exquisite, beautiful film that didn't get uh, as much love as I expected it to, uh, box office-wise or award season-wise, but it got nominated for enough. Um, and I think that Regina King is really going to be the uh, face of that film on Oscar night with a win for Best Supporting Actress. How wonderful. And my free advice to uh, actresses out there, because, of course, you have to hear from me, my free advice would be get yourself a regular gig on a CBS sitcom and your Oscar chances improve dramatically. <laughs> well, look at, uh, look at um, you know, from I, Tanya, uh, you know, supporting actress, uh, oh, blanking on her name, um, but she, uh, you know, she's on bomb uh, and she wants supporting actress. Uh so I think you're right. You know, you're on to something there, Gary. <laughs> now, what about a leading actress? Who do you think is going to take oh, it there? Please oh. tell me it's Glenn Close's year. Come on. It is Glenn Close's year. Come on, indeed. Now, here is a legend. She has, all right, check, check this off. She has three Tony Awards. She has three primetime Emmys. She has three Golden Globes. And she has no Academy Awards. She, this is her seventh nomination. And she has yet to win. This is her year. I mean, you know, I, I talked often about how you know, this is her year. She's overdue. This is like a career acknowledgement. But, you know, if you go back and you watch The Wife, and if you haven't seen The Wife, I absolutely implore you to do so. Her performance in that movie really is magnificent. And by any measure, standing alone, you know, based on just this movie and her performance alone, she deserves to win. Uh, it is, you know, she spends the first two-thirds of the movie being so expressive while keeping, keeping her feelings and her words bottled up only to just unleash in the last third of the movie. Uh, it is, it is watching a master at work, and she is fantastic in it. And of course, yes. Do I think uh, that that the Academy will look at the fact that she's never won since the seventh nomination? Do I think that that's going to uh, tip it over in her favor? 
Absolutely. So, yes, Glenn Close, come on. It's her. Oh, that, that would be fantastic. Let's move to actor in a leading role. I'm rooting for Vigo. I mean, any of these esteemed gentlemen would be wonderful choices. But last night, Viggo Mortensen in Green Book, I mean, less than 24 hours ago, I'm watching the movie where I saw a black man and a white man, the Italian, hey, the goomba, the, the guy who's the bouncer in a club, you give him any trouble, he'll break your nose. I watched Viggo humanize that character, and I saw the two of them the black man and the white man working, really working at tearing down the barriers and the suspicions and the stereotypes between races and succeeding in the end. It was glorious. I, I love the film. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that uh, maybe in any other year, it would be Vigo's to lose. But, you know, you've got two other factors at play here. One is Christian Bale as VP Dick Cheney, uh, who completely is unrecognizable uh, with with all that makeup and all those prosthetics, and he gives a performance as Dick Cheney that's akin to Gary Oldman's Oscar-winning performance as Winston Churchill in Darkest Hour. Oh. But, but, uh, you know, the thing is, Rami Malek who plays Freddie Mercury mm. in Bohemian Rhapsody. There's a reason why Bohemian Rhapsody has topped $840 million worldwide. There's a reason why Rami Malek won the SAG Award for Best Actor, why he won the BAFTA Award for Best Actor, because his performance was just through the roof and off the hook. It is... Uh, you know, that the movie has defied a lot of the controversy and the criticism that has been leveled against it to rise above it because of Rami Malek's game-changing, rousing performance. And, you know, between, between Christian Bale for Vice and Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, generally speaking, people don't really like Dick Cheney. But generally speaking, people love Freddie Mercury. And right. This is, you know, this is a again, you know, you watch this movie, and you know, the movie isn't perfect, has some flaws. It you know, starts off like a like a sort of a cliche-ridden rock biopic, but it gets better as it goes along, and it ends so strong with this live eight performance. The uh, the last twenty minutes of that movie, the live eight scene. It's not just the best scene of the film. It's like one of the best scenes of any movie released in 2018. And obviously, it has such a popular support because of how well it's done. And again, he's been winning all these other awards. You know, I love Vigo. I definitely think it's a deserving uh, performance to get nominated, deserving to win, but not when he's up against Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody. Well said. I will confess to you that I have not seen that film. I will watch it. So I'll add to the total box office. Yes, I will watch it. Bohemian Rhapsody, if for no other reason, I, mean, I want to enjoy the performances, of course, but uh, if for no other reason, I was around when Queen was making all those hits, and I would have to identify them as my favorite group whose 
whose reason for existence and their music still defies me. I mean, the, the titles of their songs, I listen to them, I go, what are you guys driving at exactly here? Even with Bohemian Rhapsody, which is magnificent. And I'm, I'm going to, I absolutely love Queen, and I don't know why. It's just all of these these songs they came up with, It would, they come to be as close to utterly unique as a pop music group as I could ever imagine. More unique in their way, I think, even than the Beatles there, and that's saying something. So I'm going to go see oh, that, that movie. that is saying something. Uh, be, being a, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a massive Beatles fan. They are the center of my world, the Beatles. I get it, like, man. You know, when you when you get a group like Queen that is able to do their own thing and be uh, phenomenally successful because of it, the fact that this movie has turned on a whole generation to the music of Queen, and they're obviously loving it. And, you know, Gary, for you and for everyone else who, who might be listening who has never seen Bohemian Rhapsody, I'm going to make it really easy for you. It's, it's now on Blu-ray it's, uh, and DVD. It's on Home Entertainment. It dropped nice. this week. So you can go out and buy the Blu-ray. If you have a Blu-ray player, you can buy the, the standard DVD. You can rent it from iTunes to watch it, stream it. It's there for the taking. It's a, it's a gem of a movie that's just hiding in plain sight. If you've never seen it, now's your chance. That would be wonderful. Two things I know you've got to go here in a moment, but two things I wanted to get to really quickly, Scott Manson. That is, first of all, please say you'll come back when it's time for the Elton John biopic to come out. I think it's oh. this summer. Yeah, we've got to talk summer. about that. And it's uh, you know, Taron uh, Egerton, uh, who was in the uh, uh, you know those uh, spy movies, the uh, uh, Secret Service, um, Kingsman, the Kingsman movies. Uh, he plays Elton John. The movie is directed by Dexter Fletcher, who directed uh, the, the last two weeks of principal photography on Bohemian Rhapsody because its original director, Brian Singer, uh, was released from the film. And uh, they brought in Dex Dexter Fletcher, who was already working on the movie in post-production, to finish the movie off and now uh, directing all of Rocket Man, which is being released this summer by Paramount Pictures. And... Uh, you know, the, the, the success of Bohemian Rhapsody goes very well for Elton John's Rocket Man. I really, really look forward to talking with you about that movie. It'll be great to talk about the summer blockbusters as well. And last note, the presentation itself, they're doing it differently this year oh. without a central host. What do you think about that, Scott? Well, I think the Oscars this year are a mess. Uh, they, they are doing it without a central host which wouldn't be so bad if it wasn't for why they eventually had to do that. You know, they were looking for a host. They tapped Kevin Hart to host, and he would have been a great host. But some of his older homophobic tweets came to light, and, uh, you know, uh, he said that he apologized before about them. He didn't want to apologize again. So the Academy had to let him go, and then, you know, after all that, Kevin Hart wound up apologizing for those old tweets, which he should have just done in the first place, but but whatever. So then the Academy decided, oh, well, we'll just do the Oscars without a central host. But then just this past week came the very, very, very controversial decision by the Academy in an effort to shorten the running time of the actual broadcast, decided to hand out four of its awards during commercial breaks. 
Oh my! So that yeah, oh my indeed. So major awards like cinematography and editing and hair and makeup, and there's one other one that are not going to be announced during the actual live broadcast of the Oscars. They're going to be given out during commercial breaks. And, like, everyone, everyone is up in arms about this decision that it is a slap in the face to cinematographers and editors and hair and makeup. And, you know, like, without cinematographers and editors, you know, the writers and the directors and the producers and the actors would have nothing. And yet they are not being treated with the same respect and equality as everyone else at the Oscars. You know, the Oscars this year, they're, they're just a mess. And the Academy is making some of these decisions. They keep digging themselves into a deeper and deeper hole. And, you know, at a time when, they're, when they should be figuring out ways to, to uh, gain more goodwill and, and make people watch the Oscars, the controversy of these decisions, particularly in, in having these other uh, these four Oscars being handed out during commercial, what a, what a slap in the face. I mean, it's embarrassing. When you get Scott Mance on the air, you get a man who will stand in his truth. You are both incisive, you are profoundly learned in the cinematic arts, but also you just give us knockus, Scott. Every time we have you on air, we have knockus. It's just always a pleasure, and I hope that you will come back this summer and we'll do it all over again. Looking forward to it. Thank you, as always, for having me on. It's always such a great pleasure uh, to, uh, to be given the spotlight by you to talk about movies and the Oscars. I hope we can do it again soon and make sure you uh, you watch the Oscars next week and make sure that you watch Bohemian Rhapsody right now. Okay. We'll thank do you, that. Scott Mance. We're gonna take a brief break. When we come back, more of Mitchell Manson Mitchell, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. It took me a long time to be able to say Chandler has cancer because that is such a scary word. St. Jude takes care of absolutely everything. And knowing that we don't have to pay for all of the medical expenses, that's huge. St. Jude allowed me to focus on being a mom to Bryce. And sometimes I'm just in awe of the impact St. Jude has, not only on this community, but the world. St. Jude is uniquely positioned to advance the cures of pediatric cancer, I think better than any other institution in the world. The contributions make a big difference. 
Donors are important to us because you get the feeling that you have a team behind you. We have the resources and we have the focus. And so if St. Jude doesn't do it, who will? St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures. Saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. On Friday, Scott Mance, known as Movie Mance, will review the Oscar nominees ahead of the Academy Awards. And the Oscar goes to... On Saturday, Anna Gatman makes her debut talking about living a spiritual life in a material world. Spiritual and successful and prosperous? Oh yeah. Bringing you fascinating talk since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Talk radio for the heart and soul. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell. The good, the bad, and the ugly. That's what I think the movies are every year. Good, bad, and ugly. (laughs) And this is from the spaghetti western era. Right, right. And uh, it was fun talking with Scott Mance. We managed to see three films just this week, so we would have some interesting things to talk about with Scott Mance. And after talking with him today... I think maybe we'll try and catch up two or three more movies before the Academy Awards. One of the great things that's available to cable subscribers now in a way that would have been unimaginable not that long ago is that in the run up to the Oscars, you can see all or just about all of the nominated pictures or the ones for which someone has been nominated best director, best actor, best actress, supporting actor, actress. That's a wonderful thing to be able to do that. And, you know, the prices on HDTVs, even with the curved screen, we're fortunate to have one of those. We got a really good buy at a big box store. A couple of years ago, we did that. And we have been able to watch these films. I remember watching Spotlight. And I thought, you know, that movie deserves to win. I don't know what's going to win, but that deserves to win. That is a very important important statement movie about something that must be addressed around the world. And that was uh, sexual abuse by priests and the response of the church or lack thereof. And it won. And we saw it the night before in the comfort of our own home. It was one price and we split the cost, you know. And we got to see this amazing movie. I just love it that entertainment can be delivered to your door, to your living room in a way that wasn't true. When you and I were growing up, man, we had the Fox Fullerton Theater. Mm -hmm. And I would go there. I saw Mary Poppins there. I saw Hard Day's Night there. In the La Habra Theater up the road about eight, nine miles, I saw Ben-Hur. All of these pictures, and I can remember uh, just watching them and going to the theater in order to have this experience, and now it comes to you. That's extraordinary. Well, I know I'm dating myself terribly, but I used to go to a double feature at the Will Rogers Theater in Chicago, and it cost 50 cents. 50 cents. 50 cents. Even in the 70s, if you went for the matinee, <laughs> yeah. there I went to a little theater, one of those little strip mall theaters there. And if you went before 5 p.m. or whatever it was, I paid 50 cents a couple times. Oh, I think really? I actually saw Jaws, Jaws for, for 50, 50 cents. cents. You know, there was a lot of conversation about with um, Netflix and um, DVDs and um movies being able to be purchased so you don't have to go to the theater. There was a lot of conversation about is the theater audience really going to drop off? Are are movies going to make money in the theater? And I think there was a big scare about that. 
And then when you look at some of these giant numbers that they're talking about, it doesn't seem as though being able to watch it in your living room has really precluded the movies still making money in the box office. And as it happens, we watched two in the theater and one at home. And yes, I we think can. we'll be able to watch maybe one or two more at home when you can get it at a good price. There is a theater, and many towns of, of any size will have this. I'm, I know they're available in Seattle. You can see the movie when it's not fresh. It's been out some weeks, but then you get a chance to see it pretty cheap. We saw The Favorite for $2 each. Right. We can see Bohemian Rhapsody for $2 each, and we certainly intend to do that. Benny, are you back with us? Maybe not. He's doing the traffic report. He has already seen Bohemian Rhapsody. Right. There, and he said and we that could see that for $2. They've got it in the stores. Yeah. There, and, it's it's the yeah. way you strategize your marketing now, but it seems to be if you want saturation, if that's your goal, you can do it. A studio can do it. Netflix can do it. Right. Right, which is surprising. And we don't have Netflix on our television. I don't know if it's available through one of those big red boxes or what, but well, we you, don't really have a way of seeing Roma no, unless no. we were to sign up for that We have service. to wait. <laughs> <laughs> right. have to wait. But Xfinity and these movies on demand, it's just a wonderful thing that you can do that. And uh, well, I'm I, very happy about I made it. a note about Scott's picks. I'm going yes. to make note for my picks, but I want to see a couple more movies before I do that. And the Academy Awards are a week from this Sunday. Yes, they are. I do want to see The Wife. Okay, so it's not nominated for Best Picture. I want to see Glenn Close. Yeah. She's magnificent. The fact that she hasn't won an Academy Award yet, that's extraordinary. So, I mean, I absolutely want to see this. And um, for fun, can you ever forgive me, Melissa McCarthy? How can you go wrong? I like her. I think she's very funny, and so maybe that's a movie we want to catch too. We'll kind of we'll kind of see what what it is that uh, calls to us the next week or so, and then Academy Awards time. If I don't see them now, I'm going to see them later. That's for sure. And many times after they win, okay, there's a rush. Okay, this was the winner. Let's go see this picture. Some I've of done the movies that before, come too. back out again yes. after the Oscars. They come back to the theaters, the, the secondary theaters, so people can catch them after they've won the awards. So And we, Benny? Yeah. Yes, sir. You saw Bohemian Rhapsody. I did. Thumbs up, right? Yep, loved it. Go see it, folks. It's a good one. Fantastic. Right. Who's coming up next, Suzanne? Well, coming up next, we have Christine Upchurch, followed by Susan Harmon, followed by the American Road Trip Talk. Oh, that's right. At I got one o'clock. And who hosts that? That would be me. Gary Mann. I'm not hosts nominated American for Road anything. Trip Talk. <laughs> but I'm going to have fun doing it, that's for sure. So stay tuned. And have yourselves a great weekend, everyone. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.